You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. You know, it's amazing to think that for the last 20 or so centuries, Christians have been gathering together on Easter to celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, we're not celebrating sort of a uh, nuanced theological point within Christianity. No, we, we are getting right to the center of Christianity with the resurrection. Uh, if you want to just think about the resurrection uh, in terms of its importance and centrality, think of it as the hinge. It's the hinge upon which the rest of Christianity swings. I love how John Stott once said it. He said, Christianity at its essence is a resurrection religion. He goes on to say, if you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. And that's true. Christianity really is a resurrection religion. We are a resurrection people. And on Easter Sunday, we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So let's start like this. Let's start with a word association game. You know what I'm talking about? You know these games, right? So um, I say the word green and you just, whatever comes to your mind, it's, maybe it's grass for you that you would think of. Uh, you, you know how these go. If I say the word cat, you would obviously say the word never. <laughs> never will I do that, right? Uh, so you, you know how these work. So let me give you this word. The word is powerful. I want you just to think about what comes to mind when you hear the word Powerful. Um, I've been asking people that question this week, seeing kind of what words get associated with the word powerful. And uh, here's some of the things that I heard back. Uh, words, and we all know that words are powerful. Uh, I heard love. Uh, we all know that love is very powerful. Uh, I heard presidents. Some people think political sort of power when you hear that word powerful. Uh, I heard the word tsunami. Uh, there's a lot of power in a tsunami. I heard the word nu- or words, nuclear bombs. There's a lot of power in a nuclear bomb. I, I, that word association makes sense to me. Uh, I did a deep dive this week and found what scientists say is the most powerful event in the universe. You know what it is? A hypernova. It's amazing the things you learn at church, isn't it? A hypernova. And so a hypernova is this moment. uh, It's really kind of the final moments of these massive stars. Uh, They begin to collapse in on themselves and become this spinning black hole. And while all that's happening, they just unleash a phenomenal amount of force. Uh, It's the force equivalent not to one nuclear bomb, but to one octillion nuclear bombs. That's one with 27 zeros behind it. That many nuclear bombs happen in a hypernova. And we would all say that that is very powerful, right? But friends, here's really the point of today is I get the privilege of standing before you, looking you in the eye and reminding you, saying to you, the resurrection of Jesus is packed with more power than anything else in the universe. The resurrection of Jesus has that kind of power. Uh, My goal today is just when you would leave, you you would have that word association in in your mind. Uh, When you hear the word powerful, that you would associate it with the resurrection. You would think the resurrection. And Paul wants you to think like this. He wants you to take that word powerful and that word resurrection and marry them together. And he doesn't want you to think power and resurrection. He wants you to know it, to experience it. This is why Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want you to know him, 
I want you to know him. I want you to know Christ. And I want you to know the power of the resurrection. I want you to taste it. I want you to experience it. I want you to know the power of the resurrection. And it's that little phrase. I want you to know Christ and the power of the resurrection that I want to explore with you today. Why does Paul link these two things together? Power and resurrection. What does he want us to know about the, the, the resurrection and its power? Uh, let me take it in three parts. Three things that we can see about resurrection power. Here's the first. Resurrection power is saving power. Pa Paul wants you to know Christ and the saving power of the resurrection. Resurrection power is saving power. According to the scriptures, we all have a problem before God. And our problem goes deeper than our deeds, just the things that we do. Our problem, according to the Bible, is that we are dead. That, that's the problem. Here's how Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2. This will be up on the screen for you. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. That's our problem. Now, this strikes modern people as a little bit odd. Uh, because modern people generally kind of see themselves as, you know, generally good people who occasionally do bad things. Uh, that's how we see ourselves. But that's not the way God sees us. It's not the way God reveals himself in the scriptures. That, that's not it. Uh, here's how God sees us. Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And being dead is less about deeds and kind of what we're doing. And it's more about a condition. Bad deeds are really just symptoms of our dead condition. So just to put it in maybe an analogy for you, think about uh, a sickness like strep throat. You don't have strep throat because your throat hurts, right? That would get it backwards. That puts the symptoms as the core of the problem. It doesn't work that way. Your throat hurts because you have strep throat right? The strep throat is the core of the issue and your throat hurting is the symptom of it. Now, in the same way, we aren't sinners because we sin, right? That, that's getting things reversed. We sin, we do wrong things, wrong deeds because we are sinners, because we are in this condition called spiritually dead. Now, what does it mean to be dead? When, when Paul says you are dead in your trespasses and sins, what does he mean? That word dead means that we are spiritually unresponsive to God and we are on our way to eternal ruin. That's what it means to be dead. We're spiritually unresponsive to God. We, our heart's just not beating to God. We're apathetic to God. We're indifferent to God. We just don't care about God and anything he has to say. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. We're, we're unresponsive to God spiritually. And we're on our way to eternal ruin, not just temporal ruin, not just ruin for the next week or two weeks or next few years, but forever, eternal ruin. That's what it means to be dead. So that begs the question, what, what does it take for a person to be saved from death? Saved from their spiritual unresponsiveness to God, to be rescued from eternal ruin. What, what does it take for that to happen? Here's the Bible's answer. A resurrection. A resurrection is what it takes for us to be saved from our sin. So this is how Paul goes on to talk about it in verse 4 of Ephesians 2. Paul says, okay, you're dead and your trespasses and sin. And then verse 4, but God, 
Now, now that word but signals a contrast. This is what was, but now this is what's going to be. It signals a contrast. But God, it's signaling that help is on the way, but, but help from who? But God. And now what do we learn about God? Being rich in mercy. We learn that God is not poor in mercy. God is not middle class in mercy. No, no, God is rich in mercy. This is who God is. He is rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. We learned that about God. That God's love for us is not small. It's not sort of medium in size. No, it's great in size. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here's what God has done. Here is what is required for us to be rescued from ruin, brought to life. Here's, what's, here's what has to happen. But God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you see the picture? Here's what Paul is painting here for us. He's looking at us and saying, do you see that you are stuck in the grave of your sin? There is no way out of your sin and eternal ruin, of your unresponsiveness. There's no way out. You are dead in it. You are unresponsive. You are on your way to ruin, and there's nothing you can do about it. But friends, Paul says, grace meets us in the grave. Grace crawls down into the tomb of our sin, the tomb of our unrebellion, the tomb of our indifference to God. And grace breathes life into our lungs. Grace crawls down into that tomb and grace gets our heart going again. Grace meets us in the grave, Paul says, making our dead hearts beat, bringing us to life. If you are in Christ, you have experienced a resurrection. You have gone from death to life. Now, it's funny to think about all the ways we categorize people, isn't it? We, we have just a million ways of doing this. There are those Democrats and there's those Republicans. Uh, there are those good people and there's the bad people, the rich people and the poor people. We've got all of these ways of, of categorizing people. And Ephesians 2 shows us that all of those are superficial categorizations. They're just superficial categories. Ephesians 2 shows us that the only categories that will matter in the end are you're either dead, spiritually unresponsive, on your way to ruin, or alive. You have been brought from death to life, rescued from ruin. Either death or alive. And friends, Jesus didn't live and die and bust out of the grave to make, you know, just bad people into better people. G good people into great. That's not the reason he came and lived and died and busted out of the grave. He busted out of the grave to make dead people live. To bring dead hearts to life. And if you want to live today, saved from your unresponsiveness, rescued from ruin. If you want to live today, if you want to come out of the tomb of your sin today, then friend, we, we want to look at you and say, you need a resurrection. You need God for that. So, so put your faith in Jesus. They turn from your sin and throw your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus today. Resurrection power is saving power, but that's not all it is. 
Resurrection power is more than just saving power. Resurrection power is also sin-slaying power. It's also that. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us, in every follower of Jesus, in all of those who are in Christ. And and here is what that resurrection power does. That, That same power that raised Jesus that resides in us, here is what that power does. It empowers us to kill sin in our life and to walk faithfully with Jesus. It empowers us to walk in newness of life. This is the way Paul says it in Romans 6, 4. This will be on the screen for you. Paul says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Paul's saying, that's what happened at conversion. You were submerged into the death of Jesus. His death paying for you. His death for your death. That's what happened at conversion. And then he says, in order that, so that. Okay, so you, you, were, you were saved from your sin. Resurrection power, right? That saving power, it rescued you from sin. Now what? Paul says, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead. Hear that phrase again. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Look at what he says. We too might walk in newness of life. Now, just try to get your bearings on Paul's logic here. This is what Paul's saying. He's looking at followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ, and he's saying, you can walk in newness of life. That that is possible. You you can actually kill sin. You, You can slay sin in your life. Like that remaining sin in you, you can put that stuff to death in you. Now, Paul is not saying you're gonna be perfect before Christ comes back. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying you can be progressing You can day by day look more and more like Jesus. You can be putting that sin to death. You can walk faithfully with Jesus. You can do that, he's saying. Now, why? How can you do that? On what basis can you do that? And here's the logic. You can do that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Paul is saying, the power that emptied the tomb is the same power that fills you. It's the same power that resides in you. Now, here, here is what sadly happens in many of our lives, though. We look at our lives, and we look in the mirror, and we see all of these things in our life that are not Jesus displaying, right? We see all of the—we might call them—we see the ruts of sin in our life. And we're just sort of stuck in the ruts of those sin, enslaved in that sin. Right, And this could be a million different things for us. Maybe it's an enslavement to pornography or to impatience or to lying or to fear of man. Just always concerned about what other people are thinking about us and what are they, what are they thinking, what are they doing, and what, all of that. Maybe it's we're enslaved to worry and fear and anxiety. I mean, the menu of sin is endless. And over time, what happens is we begin to see those ruts as having ultimate power in our life. So we begin to say things like this, um, I could never be free from that sin. There's no way I'll have measurable freedom from that, that sin. There is no way that this area of my life could ever change. There is no way in this area I will ever walk in newness of life. But friends, the risen Jesus is here to remind us today that ultimate power is not found in our ruts, but in the resurrection of Jesus. 
That, that's where power is found. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And you could just like put your name in that little we section there in that verse. You too might walk in newness of life. Like you, singular you, you can walk in newness of life. But because that same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you if you are in Christ. Tomb emptying power fills you. It is in you. And gosh, there's just example after example of this that we could look to. One of my favorite examples is with Augustine. He was an early church father. And Augustine was addicted to all sorts of sexual immorality. I mean, the, the guy was really a train wreck. Just his life was a disaster in so many different ways. And then he tasted the power of the resurrection. Jesus brought his dead heart to life. And that resurrection power that saved him then empowered him. And he began to put sin to death. He began to walk in newness of life. He, he began to have his life be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. And a few years later, he was in a city that he used to visit a lot. And there in that city, he bumped into an old mistress. And that old mistress made a pass at Augustine, right? I mean, she just went for it. And, uh, and after several stiff arms, she turned away in anger. And as she was walking away from Augustine, uh, she had this thought. It just sort of occurred to her, oh, I, I know the problem here. It's just been a long time since we've seen each other. And, and he just, he, he doesn't know who I am anymore. He, he's forgotten who I am. He just, he, he doesn't remember who I am. And so she turns back and she yells at Augustine. She says, Augustine, it is I. And she fills in her name. And then Augustine looked back at her and said, yes, I know but it is no longer I. Augustine knew Christ and he tasted, he knew the power of the resurrection. The sin slaying power of the resurrection. And we have those same stories to tell all throughout our church family, brothers and sisters who were enslaved to all sorts of sin. And that tomb-emptying power that fills them has freed them. They're walking in newness of life. And I, I want to just look at anyone in here today who, who you are convinced that you could never change. Your life will always be just like this. That sin is never going, you're never going to have measurable freedom from that sin. You're never going to walk in newness of life. Friends, Paul is inviting you to get to know again the power of the resurrection, to taste again the power of the resurrection. He's begging you not to shrink your life down to what is humanly possible. Paul is holding the resurrection before us, the empty tomb before us, and he's saying, hey, would you look at that empty tomb? Would you, would you just gaze at it and stare at the empty tomb? Because that's what God makes possible for all of his people. That power right there is in you to slay sin, to walk in newness of life. That power right there is what's possible in you. Resurrection power is saving power. Resurrection power is sin-slaying power. And thirdly, resurrection power is death-defeating power. Death-defeating. 
defeating power. In the Bible, death is a problem. The, the Bible acknowledges that from the opening pages of the scriptures. In Genesis 5, there's a long genealogy, and it traces uh, humanity from Adam down to Noah, and uh, it's tracing all of these people, and this is the flow of Genesis 5. It, it names a person, then it tells us how long they lived, and, and then eight times in Genesis 5, it's like almost like a rhythm that sort of sets the, the, uh, the chapter into motion. It, it names them, here's how long they live, and then eight times it tells us, and he died. So-and-so lived, he, he lived this long, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Genesis 5 shows us what happens to everyone east of Eden, to everyone east of the Garden of Eden. It's showing us that one day the end of our story on earth will finish like this, and she died, and he died. The scriptures hold death before us, and then the scriptures ask us to take a long, uncomfortable look at death. And the Bible shows us that for each of us, death is an unavoidable problem. When is the last time you've stared at death for a moment? That you've thought about death for a moment? Blaise Pascal, he sees the problem of death rightly when he says this. He says, imagine a number of men in chains, all under the sentence of death, some of whom are butchered each day in the sight of others. Those remaining see their own condition and that of their fellows, and looking at each other with grief and despair, they await their turn. And then he goes on to say, this is an image of the human condition, and it's so true. East of Eden, every human lives under the sentence of death. From our first to our final breath, we all live under the shadow of death. But if you're anything like me, you're, you're kind of doing whatever you can to avoid making eye contact with the shadow. Uh, just to sort of avoid death, to kind of keep death over there, not to look at death, to keep death at a distance. And there's a reason that we do that. In, in the scriptures, death is not presented as a friend to be cherished, but as an enemy to be destroyed. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's a reason that we hate death because it's an enemy. We hate death because death is horrible. Just think for a moment about what death does. Over time, death strips everyone of everything. That's what death does. Strips everyone of everything. Uh, death is less like a single moment in our life. And it's more like a long process that culminates at the end of our lives. Because here's what death does. It slowly eats away at everything you love. Give it enough time and death will strip you of your health your physical capability, your mental capability, your ability to work, given enough time, it will take those you love and all that you love doing. Death will, will take it all. Death has no heart. It strips everyone of everything. And death is no respecter of your wealth. Death is no respecter of your accomplishments. Death is no respecter of the richness of your relationships. Death eats everything in our life. And that moved Leo Tolstoy to the question. And I think it's such an honest question. Listen to how he frames it. He said, my question 
That which at age 50 brought me to the verge of suicide was the simplest of questions. It was a question lying in the soul of every man, a question that without answer makes it impossible to live. Here was the question. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? And the answer is left to ourself, no. There, there is nothing that death will not destroy in our life. Death left to ourself will eat everything. It will strip everyone of everything. But friends, the resurrection reminds us that death does not get the last word the risen Jesus does. Amen? That's who gets the last word. Uh, here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible tells us one big, beautiful story. It's the story of Jesus doing for us what we desperately need but cannot do on our own. And here's what we desperately need but cannot do. We need death to be killed. That, that's what we need. And so it tells the story of our first parents eating that forbidden fruit. Right, hanging from that forbidden tree. And at the moment that their lips tasted that fruit, death invaded. And like a poison, it spread to every one of us. But 2,000 years ago, God came to deal with death. Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. He hung from the forbidden tree. He received the death that we deserved. And then on the third day, Jesus busted out of the grave. Jesus defeated death. He, he defeated death, our last enemy. It's been defeated. And now, friends, we have been invited by Jesus to enjoy the spoils of his victory. Listen to how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. This will be on the screen for you. He says, for as in Adam all die, yes, like a poison, that, that sin from Adam spread to us all, death spread to us all. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in its order, Christ the firstfruits, it's him first. Then at his coming, those who belong to him. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying Jesus busting out of the grave on the third day is like a, think of it like a movie trailer. It's giving every son and daughter a sense of what's coming in the story. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus is like a preview of coming attractions. It's intended to wet our taste buds for a future on the other side of the grave, on the other side of death. It's just going to be beyond our mind's ability to take in. That's what the resurrection of Jesus is. He has defeated death. Resurrection power is death-defeating power. I have a friend who loves to talk about the good news of Jesus like this. He says it comes in three parts. Part one, we are all idiots. That's the humbling part of the good news of Jesus. That we're dead in our sins. That we, 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 we just bring our need. That, that's what we bring to the table. We are all idiots. Number two, we have an incredibly bright future in Jesus, in the risen Jesus. We have an incredibly bright future because Jesus walked out of the grave. Our life isn't over when we're placed in the grave. Because when Jesus walked out of the grave, it doesn't matter how bad our life gets. Our best days are always before us. Because Jesus walked out of the grave, friend, death and despair do not get the last word. Life, joy, and hope do. We're all idiots. We have an incredibly bright future in Jesus. And here's part three. Anyone can get in on this. Anyone. 
you, friend, can get in on this. That's Paul's invitation to you today. He is looking at you and saying, I want you to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. So will you pray with me there where you are? And I want to give you a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press down into your heart what would be most helpful this morning. a moment to talk to the Lord this morning. In the end, the only categories that will matter, dead or alive, spiritually unresponsive, on your way to eternal ruin or resurrected, brought to new life in Jesus. Those are the only two categories that will matter. Like in a billion years from now, that, that's gonna be the thing you care about is getting that question right. See, part of what the resurrection does is it, it brings Jesus out and, and sets the risen Christ in front of us to make a decision, to make that decisive decision. What will we do with the risen Christ? And here is what Jesus is inviting you to do today, to turn from your sin and then take that decisive step toward him, to throw your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to hold your life up before God and say, here I am, oh God, I am yours. Friend, would you do that today? Would you do that today? Just right now, in the best way you know how, you can call out to God, God, save me. Putting my faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Here's my life. God, rescue me. And the risen Jesus stands so ready to do that today. So, Father, would you do that resurrecting work right now? That saving work right now? Father, would you do that sin slaying work right now? Father, would you give our hearts the ability to celebrate that death-defeating work of Jesus? Oh, God, would you do it? And it is in the good name of Jesus we ask it.